0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cotrera Show. It's February 23rd. We are going to hit on some big topics that I'm sure are top of your mind, like the vaccine rollout. It is being left up to your public health unit. We'll talk to a doctor about her thoughts on the province, possibly passing the buck. We're also going to touch on, what else are we talking about? Oh yeah, now I remember. Brain fog. It's real. And we'll talk about what you can do to avoid brain fog and those uncomfortable, awkward moments but first, today, Trudeau and Biden will uh, be chatting together. It is a virtual uh, meeting. It, normally, it's a lot longer than the two hours they've been allotted virtually. But uh, David Aiken, our global's chief political correspondent, joins the show. David, I want to just off the hop, not only welcome you to the show, but ask you uh, a simple question, if I could. What's the over under when it comes to uh, people in the know in, audio, uh, in Ottawa on the meeting starting out with Biden saying this?
1: Oh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not. I'm not a cat. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? Maybe he'll be a dog, right? Because Biden's got the dog at the White House. Isn't oh. that a you know big story? I don't know. Uh, it's it. But you're right. It's virtual, and and you know, there's always a lot to talk about when these you know Canada and the U.S. get together. But it's really only going to be 90 minutes. Uh, all told, starting about four Eastern, and uh, and you're right. If it was in person, you probably would have expected Biden to have come to Ottawa as Obama did uh, when he first took office, and Joe Biden was his VP way back in the day. And mm-hmm. when that happens, then you get you get sort of there's just p.m. to president there's a little one-on-one then they have what's called an expanded bilat where you bring in cabinet members from both sides then there's probably a lunch you know working lunch and they can work on talking and, and develop a relationship elsewhere maybe even a dinner who knows and when obama came to ottawa his first time around you know we got that the beaver tails you know you've ever had those that delicious deep fried piece of bread with uh, some uh, icing sugar on it mm, yummy um uh, Not this time. Uh, Biden's in Washington in front of a video screen. Uh, Trudeau will be in his office with ministers in front of a video screen. And uh, that's how it's going to go.
0: Okay, so Trudeau and Biden will be talking about, I'm guessing here are going to be the top uh, topics. Uh, Vaccine. Uh, uh, Trudeau begging Biden to help us out with vaccine procurement. Mm. Uh, The two Michaels pipelines, borders reopening, anything I'm leaving out. And what order do you think they'll be discussing uh, the topics in? (laughs)
1: You know, those things you mentioned may come up in context of some broader issues. If and, and, you know, I've been speaking to sort of some experts on on how Trudeau should be wise to manage this. I think Trudeau needs to remember that uh, Canada needs to give the Biden administration some, quote, unquote, wins. Biden is kind of weak politically. I know the Democrats control both houses in, in Congress, but, you know, it's two years till the next congressional election. Biden's likely to lose it. Biden needs to worry about, you know, managing that. Most of his cabinet is brand new. So, for example, will Trudeau say, "Listen, you got to help me out on Meng Wanzhou and the two Michaels"? Not specifically, but it is definitely going to come up in the context of a broader discussion on China and human rights and Trudeau brought this up last week when the G7 met virtually that you know G7's got to do something about China on human rights and mm-hmm. and when you talk about human rights then you're talking about a little more broad uh, the uyghurs hong kong democracy activists as well as arbitrary detention that's the two michael stories. so uh so think high level it's 90 minutes they're not going to get in the weeds on things um, if there is one specific economic irritant, it's uh, Buy America. Uh, Joe Biden wants to have all the money the feds in the U.S. spend on recovery and infrastructure go to American firms. And my sense is the Trudeau guys will say, listen, Joe, remember 8 09? when you were VP to Obama? Stephen Harper got a carve-out on Buy America to say, you know, Canadian firms can participate – The point being is our both of our economies work best when the borders are open. We have uh, free trade rules based mechanism that that's the way it works. And I expect there'll be some discussion there will be there will definitely be some discussion about that.
0: Well, David, you know, you mentioned the borders and how both countries work really well when the borders are open. Our borders have been closed because of this pandemic. Um, I know that in the U.S., I think they were expected yesterday to inoculate Um, And vaccinate uh, as many people in one day as we have in the entire uh, pandemic in the, you know, in our Mm -hmm. vaccine campaign across Canada. In one day they were supposed to uh, do that amount of people. So if the borders are really important, would... Vaccine be top of the list. And would it not serve both countries if, um, you know, he, our prime minister convinced Biden to talk to the people at Pfizer and say, okay, send some, you know, doses up from the American, uh, the American plants.
1: Again, it may come up in, a, in the context of a broader thing, but I don't think this is a meeting where there would be an ask. And to be honest, I don't even know if Trudeau wants to make that ask because, as we've seen this week, we're up, we're boom, we're back to getting some expected Pfizer doses. Um, you know, we did hit, for Canada, we did hit a record number of vaccinations yesterday. It's, it's not anywhere near where it needs to be, but... Pfizer has, you know, reactivated its factory in Belgium. That factory, that's where we get our our stuff from, and, um, and and it's coming through. I mean, to be honest, I think the vaccine story in Canada is really a more issue of where the heck is the AstraZeneca vaccine? Everyone else in the world seems to have given it the okay. Health Canada mm-hmm. is still waiting to approve it. So. Uh, but you're right that the border is closed to non-essential traffic, but it is still very much open to all the essential stuff, the truck drivers, the pilots taking people back, uh, health care workers. Biden wants to make sure that that stays open. I mean, Detroit alone is serviced by, I think, you know, an, a remarkable amount, 20, 30,000 Canadian healthcare workers go to work in Detroit every day. Biden needs to have that kind of help. I think if there is some sort of discussion on, you know, vaccines, COVID, etc., is... Maybe some in- initial indication saying, okay, what does the world have to look like before we can start letting people travel for non-essential reasons back and forth? What does the world look like so that the you know the Raptors can play a game you know in the Air Canada Centre? What does it look like for you know the Leafs to go back and forth, the Jays to go back and forth, and then we start to get into some metrics on R levels and those sorts of things. The, the, the remember the key thing here that's different from <coughs> the Trump administration. Cabinet members are going to be part of this meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So that means Deputy Prime Minister Freeland and Vice President Harris. It means Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and his Canadian counterpart, Omar Al-Gabra from Mississauga. So these two leaders want to go back to the way it used to be, and right. they'll set the big tone, and then they'll say to Buttigieg and Al-Gabra, you guys go off, do something on zero-emission vehicles, right? Under Trump, it was it was all Trump. Um, if, if work got done by Cadman members, it was despite Trump because he was always throwing curves into plans. So okay. so big stuff is coming. To, the details to, to come today is all about tone.
0: OK, so, David, can I bring this down to a really simplified uh, analogy? Is this basically this meeting, this truncated meeting, which normally is a couple of days into 90 minutes? Is this basically a speed dating round so everybody can get acquainted again, reacquainted?
1: Yeah, on the cabinet level, yeah, because don't forget that the, on the U.S. side, these guys are all brand new, the cabinet. They've just been sworn in by the Senate. It is. And this is the big takeaway from today is this meeting, at the end of it, they're going to have a joint statement. They'll they'll tell each, the world how much they like each other, how important this relationship is. is an international cooperation great? It's going to be all bromides. And you know what? That's really important because that's, that's the U.S. saying to the rest of the world, guys, we just had four years of Trump tempest. We had tweet storms at the end of these meetings and all sorts of drama and rancor. And you know what? It's boring. It's dull. And that is actually the most remarkable thing about it. And it's what Canada kind of needs from the U.S. right now. It's what the world needs from the U.S. right now, getting back on some sort of footing to go about our business, discuss disagreements, discuss how to move forward in a normal, dull, kind of boring way. That's what this meeting is all about. It's very important for the Biden administration to send that message to all of its friends and allies. We're back to some sort of normal. Virtually. Virtually. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Virtually. David,
0: I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, no problem, Kelly. Have a great morning.
0: All right. One of the biggest stories today that we're talking about, and we'll probably continue to talk about is when you're going to get your vaccine and who's going to handle the vaccine rollout in your area. It turns out that the province is passing the buck to the public health um, units in your region. There are 34 in the province. Some people think this is a good idea. Some people think this isn't a great idea. Yesterday, uh, an opinion piece in the Toronto Star caught my eye. It's by Dr. Michelle Cohen, a family doctor and assistant professor at the University of uh, Queen's University Department of Family Medicine. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Cohen. It's good to have you on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Can I play a little clip of Christine Elliott that, uh, Dave Bradley at the top of the hour played in his newscast? And it was about uh, the idea of, you know, the government passing on the responsibility to local public health units to deal with vaccines and, and when you'll be getting your vaccine. Here's Christine Elliott, our Minister of Health. There are many different ways that this is going to be
2: rolled out, and this is going to be made clear to the people of Ontario uh, in a very short while how they can do that, so they can do it by contacting their family doctor. In many cases, they can do it online. Many people may not feel comfortable doing that. They can also call a centre to book their appointment. So this is going to be specific and clear to the people, and it's going to be produced within a very short time.
0: I don't know about you, doctor, but that doesn't instill a lot of confidence when I hear her speaking, not only in uh, that tone, but it seems like it's not as organized as we'd like, you know, the, the province would like us to believe. You wrote this opinion piece in the Toronto Star, and it is here's the headline, Ontario's vaccine rollout confusion is a deliberate political tactic. Why do you say that?
2: Well, so, I mean, that message that we heard just now, this promise for clarity, I feel like that was anything but clear. And I think many people would agree with me. We've had a number of unclear, confusing, contradictory messages over the past almost a year that we've been stuck in this pandemic. So, you know, when I talk about um, confusion being a a political tactic, I don't imagine that the province is... Sitting there rubbing its hands with glee, maliciously designing misleading messaging. Um, really, what I'm, I'm saying is that it takes effort to make messages clear. and and that so that people can understand them that are factual and that give good information to the public and to healthcare providers as well and i think the government is not putting effort into that because ultimately it benefits politically when people are confused it's exhausting to be confused to call around to one place or another to try to figure out when you or your family member are going to get vaccinated and the time that that takes that exhaustion and that energy that people are using simply to try to figure out how they're going to get through this pandemic or get from one day to the next, that takes away from energy that could be used to criticize the government for its plan or or advocate for some sort of better arrangement. And I think that's a sort of passive strategy by the government to avoid critique, to, to make people spend their energy, spend their time trying to figure out how to survive, basically, and spend less time pushing the government to do
0: better. We heard from the government that the next phase of um, this vaccine strategy, as soon as we get all the vaccines into the the province, the next phase is going to be after long-term care home um, residents and, and people that work in long-term care homes are vaccinated, that we will move on to other older members of uh, communities, 80 uh, plus, and try and make sure they safely get their vaccines Uh, The Ford government announced that what it will be doing is, in addition to online booking systems and phone systems, that your local family doctor would contact you. This was last Friday afternoon. How unaware were family doctors that this was the plan? Uh,
2: completely unaware. It was a real Friday afternoon. Uh, it was chaos. It was chaos. There were uh, colleagues messaging each other and, and talk, people talking on social media, asking one another, have you heard anything about this? What are you going to say when your office is inundated with phone calls on Monday? You know, How are you going to approach it? How, how is this what we are being expected to do when there has been no communication to us? about vaccine bookings and about how we're going to get involved, aside from just, you know, wait for our local public health unit to, to tell us what to do and to give us some guidance. And that's, that's you know, that's one type of strategy, and we can discuss whether or not that strategy is effective. But to, to release a message that people are going to be contacted by their family doctor or booked in by their family doctor, it just creates chaos in our offices, and, and it's very confusing and chaotic for patients as well. We've already had people calling multiple times ever since December, since vaccines first arrived, asking when they could get signed up, if I could put mm-hmm. them on a list, if they could be prioritized some way, and where we're, what's going to happen. And We really have no information aside from just directing people to public health, or what I've been doing now is telling people to call their local MPP, because it, it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous at this point that we have been excluded from this process even though we've been asking to be involved and asking for communication and for information from the government. And yet when it comes to, to delivering a message about where people can get their vaccines, now we're kind of being dumped on in, in that sense. And, and it's just going to create more frustration for our patients.
0: Is the fact that there are so many different options going to cause confusion? I mean, when you think about the ability to go online and book a vaccination or the ability to book on phone uh, by phone, and then the fact that your family doctor might be calling you to schedule an appointment, that to me seems like there's too many options. It's like looking at at Netflix, you know, in the evening going oh, too many choices, which one was right for me.
2: Right. Exactly. Well, so my my more cynical take on that is is there's going to they're putting out a bunch of different options um, because they're kind of maybe hoping that one of those will come through, maybe a couple of those will come through. And, and, you know, ultimately, I don't think we're going to have all of those options available. And I think it's another sort of confusion. They're going to promise an online system, and maybe it's not going to be up and ready on time, or they're going to promise a a phone system, and, you know, there are going to be problems with that. And then uh, when there are problems in that scenario, the default is always to call the family doctor. So when you create a situation where you're not really offering people a clear way to book in for vaccinations, And of course they're going to turn to their primary care provider and this is one of the reasons we've been asking to be involved since the very beginning because people do turn to us for information they do want to know what's going on and when we don't have any information to give them then it's just frustration and confusion all around
0: i understand that you sit on on a vaccine advisory committee within Mm -hmm. your local health unit now i my experience with my local health unit i got it's a long story but bit by a bat and i found that they were on it i have a lot of faith in public health Um, from your experience talking about what's going on with this, uh, with the vaccinations, uh, and what we're you know expecting as far as rollout goes, are you confident that public health are the right people to be in charge? I think public health is doing a good job. You know, I think they could certainly be better supported
2: by the government, and so I'm I'm happy to work with local public health, but they're also being, you know, confused by, by changing messages. So the announcement on Friday changed some of the priorities around who is supposed to be getting vaccinated first. And so our local public health in our meeting yesterday it, you know, spent a lot of time discussing how we were going to change the plan to accommodate this new, this reprioritization, which was basically announced to public health the same way that everyone else found out about it. So that's not exactly an effective strategy for communication from the province or or effective guidance from the province. So I think public health is doing the best it can in less than ideal circumstances.
0: What message changed Friday about priority?
2: Priority. Uh, that the uh, over, folks over 80 in the community at large were going to be reprioritized and moved up a level in terms of priority. So pre- previously we had been focusing on long-term care and getting everybody right. vaccinated in long-term care, and then health workers around the high-risk health workers. So having uh, you know a jump for for a certain section of the community based on their age, you know that's that's a change, and so that, that's a that's a decision that can be discussed and debated whether or not that's a good prioritization or not. But definitely the messaging was. No- not handled well and it just that kind of confusion just costs time when we're trying to plan things
0: I think there's a misconception that everybody who's older that lives at home and can you know afford to still be in their own home is healthy and healthy enough to get out to some sort of mass vaccination clinic when that's not necessarily the case like I've got a 90 year old father-in-law who you know we we take care of and you there's, there's no way I can see him going out to get his vaccine. So are we going to be looking at doctors making house calls? Like, is that even something that's on your radar right now?
2: So we are having discussions about how we're going to vaccinate folks who are getting home care and people who are in their homes. So that's been a discussion. Um, I don't think there's a, a defined plan at this point for how that's going to happen, but that is a discussion. And so every time we get mixed messages or some sort of confusing change in guidance from the province, that changes our ability to, to focus on those, stra- those priorities.
0: So the Ford government also said that public health units already have a plan. Is that what you're seeing? Or, you know, are they, are they maybe generalizing here? Could some of the 34 public health units have a plan, but other ones are still kind of trying to figure it out? So it's. it's-
2: Possible. I don't know. I'm only in communication with one public health unit, um, but I, I've certainly seen from discussing with my community uh, colleagues who are community family docs as well that they, you know, they also feel left out of the loop. They also don't feel like there's been uh, communication about from the province or from the ministry fr- from the local public health unit about what exactly is going to happen. So we're all still in the stages of just kind of. Deciding to come, out, how we're working out a plan, um, coming up with a plan. Waiting in my area, we're still waiting for vaccine to arrive. So that's mm-hmm. going to depend on what local health, the public health unit you're in. So we have pretty vast geographic inequities across Canada and throughout the province as well. So there are going to be some health units that are just able to get vaccine faster than others, and that's going to affect the more rural public health units. So so that there's going to be a disparity in, in how the health units are able to uh, access vaccine and then able to distribute vaccine.
0: If you're right, if Ontario's vaccine rollout confusion is a deliberate political tactic, is this so that the government can point to someone else if things go awry and say, well, look at, hey, we already prioritized everything. We handed it over to you guys. You said you could do it, and you messed up, not us.
2: Yeah, so this was actually my first reaction when I heard this news on Friday afternoon is that, well, this is the next group that the province is going to deflect blame to. You know, and, and we've seen time and time again that uh, that pro- policies that are poorly planned out or ineffective, um, when case counts go up, when testing is not done. You know, over the summer and the fall, we had lots of issues with getting people tested, um, lots of issues with schools um, reopening, of schools, issues now with vaccine rollout. Anytime there are uh, any of those sorts of policy or, or larger scale failures, um, the pro- the province ends up doubling down on blaming the individuals. So either individual people. Um, who are who are going out and not observing lockdowns, um, you know, when lockdowns are arguably not strict enough, um, people, the lab gets blamed for inadequate testing, the testing centers get blamed when people are waiting in line. And so, yeah, my first reaction was, oh, now they're just going to be blaming family doctors for not signing people up for vaccinations because they told the entire province that they could call their family doctor and get booked in.
0: Right. And that's just not uh, feasible. Not even close,
2: not even close. <laughs>
0: Dr. Cohen, thanks so much for bringing up your concerns. Hopefully, uh, that hopefully you're wrong about the the tactic because that doesn't breed a lot of confidence in what's going on, as far as this vaccination strategy goes. And hopefully, we'll be getting clearer messaging in the near future. Mm-hmm, I hope so too. Do you find yourself entering a room and then you forget what it is you came into the room for, or you're searching for words a lot more? frequently in the past. Well, you're not alone. Brain fog is a real thing. Here to talk about it, Dr. Lily Brown, professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I think I was under the impression it was me uh, that was forgetting words, uh, you know, uh, during this pandemic. What is brain fog? Is it an actual medical condition? No, it's not.
3: But I think that this is sort of a layman's term to describe what so many people are experiencing right now in terms of the impact of the chronic stress that so many people have been under during this pandemic. Um, We know that chronic stress impacts concentration, attention. Um, The ability to sustain attention, the ability to switch between tasks easily, all of these are domains that are impacted by chronic stress. And so I think a number of people are finding that as this pandemic continues on, these symptoms are
0: becoming more noticeable to them. Is it possible that we've been living with this chronic stress for so long during the pandemic that we're actually unaware that we're stressed out? I'm finding that that's actually occurring in my own clinical practice among individuals who
3: early in the pandemic were um, impressed by their own ability to be resilient in the face of this bizarre new world, but as the pandemic continues on, and especially as there continues to be uncertainty about when the end is going to happen, finding that the the, um, impact of the pandemic is only increasing for people. Um, And that's especially concerning because we saw early in the days of the pandemic that already in the spring of 2020, there were three or four times the increased risk of things like depression and anxiety. Um, but now we're seeing that a lot of people are feeling that it's this chronic ongoing nature of the pandemic that's leading to kind of new challenges and, and brain fog might be one of those challenges for some people.
0: Yeah. And I think this is a situation where, you know, brain fog, it, it, uh, leads to being stressed out more, leads to greater anxiety because you, you're constantly thinking, oh my gosh, uh, what's going on with me here? I'm on the hot seat. A lot of people working virtually, a lot of people literally on camera. You're on, here's your close up, and you can't find the word to explain what it is you're trying to uh, convey. Absolutely. You know, the other
3: piece here that you didn't mention is the impact of sleep during this pandemic. Um, And we're seeing that for a lot of people, they're less active than they've ever been and that you know, inactivity can create a lot of challenges as it relates to getting adequate sleep and having efficient sleep. And we know that when people are getting poorer sleep, it makes it even harder to focus and to have sustained attention. Plus, you know, we know that problems with sleep are a key precipitating factor that leads to increased risk for anxiety and depression, which then you know, only worsens mm-hmm. um, these, these quote brain fog symptoms.
0: Okay. So we're dealing with a whole lot during this pandemic beyond the pandemic. We're dealing with how we're dealing with the pandemic. I've started to take, it might sound bizarre, but omega-3 because I thought maybe that'll help out with, with the brain fog that I, I seem to be suffering from during this pandemic. How do you alleviate brain fog? Is there anything you can do?
3: I think it's really important that people take the time to step away from their computers because, as you were alluding to, there is this bizarre um impact of constantly being on camera, constantly feeling under the microscope in some ways, and a lot of people are reporting that these you know virtual meetings are much more stressful than a typical in person meeting in terms of how draining they are for people. So I think it's extraordinarily important to take time away from the computer as much as is possible. Um, I also think it's really important that people try to practice connecting with other people where they can, Um, because we know that social connection is a major, um, you know, resilience boosting factor. And yet, of course, in a in a world where we are socially distant, um, that becomes more challenging than ever. But I think if you want to invest in two domains that might give you the most bang for your buck, I think it's building social closeness and, and intimacy and taking some time away from the computer as much as possible.
0: So how do you build the intimacy and the closeness when we're physically separated?
3: Yeah, I think part of it stems from finding one or two people in your life who you can practice being vulnerable with, um, which for many of us, that's the last thing in the world we want to be with people. We often want to hide our weaknesses and, and hide our faults. And yet the reality is we're living in this bizarre world where so many of us are struggling. And yet it's also really hard to talk about how we're struggling, in part because people don't wanna feel like they're complaining or that they're making a bigger deal of it than it is. So I think what's really important is finding you know, one or two people who you can really open up with in terms of the impact of this on you. And that might be that you know, the first place to start could be opening up to a therapist, but it could also be just finding someone in your support network who you feel it's actually safe to be open to.
0: Alright, does the audience the size of a GTA count? Because I'm pretty vulnerable on this show on a daily basis. <laughs> I think it's more about getting in touch with those 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 underlying emotions, the anxiety, the shame, because so often Oh, there's shame. There's shame. You need to tune into this show more, Doctor. <laughs> well,
3: You know, it's funny because often I meet with people who talk about how they're very in touch with their emotions and they feel angry all the time. And how could I not be in touch with my emotions? And yet in reality, what we find is that anger is really the secondary emotion that they're feeling. And what they need to spend more time processing is the embarrassment, the shame, the anxiety, the sadness. And the more you can find an outlet for talking through those things with people, the better off you'll feel.
0: All right. Well, hopefully our show provides a bit of an outlet uh, here for our listeners in that uh, manner. And uh, I really appreciate some of the tips you've given us. I think a lot of people are going to put them into practice because it is just frustrating when you can't find the word to describe what it is you're thinking or you walk into the room and you can't remember why you've entered it and you're thinking, I shouldn't be at this stage in my life yet.
3: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of worries that people are adding on top of the pain that they're already under right now. And so as if it's not bad enough to have brain fog, then there's the added layer of worries about, oh, what does this mean in Mm -hmm. terms of my functioning, my ability to get things done? And so I think it's really important to be gentle with yourself right now and to, you know, just not overinterpret what this might mean. The simplest explanation could be that this is unprecedented in terms of the stress impact on you. And so perhaps it doesn't
0: necessarily mean that anything's terribly wrong, but maybe that you just need some extra support right now. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily. You can listen to us online if you want between 9 and noon on 640toronto.com.